0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in La Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. This week's episode deals with what happens when you're an entrepreneur and your wildest dreams start coming true. Your program grows, you start getting users, you're now getting the word out, and you're trying to decide what to do next. Now, if this program was starting today, we'd probably be talking about branding rights and cross-selling and getting purchased and gobbled up by a large corporation. And, oh yeah, how many users does your mobile app have? Bill and Dr. Bob and some of the other members decided that what they wanted to do was sell books and use the proceeds from the books to build hospitals And then have uh, missionaries. And this sounds like a great idea. So we'll write a book and everybody will buy the book. And then we'll hire some people and that'll look great. You'll have someone show up on your doorstep in a suit, a tie, and fedoras. And ring the doorbell and you'll answer. And they're like, hi, do you have any drunks in the house? That probably went over uh, pretty well. And let's not even get started on managed health care. Could you imagine trying to start a new hospital these days? Joe and Charlie have some definite opinions about the difference between the fellowship of the program and the book used for the program, and I completely agree with their point of view. So let's listen to this week's episode.
1: What I decided to do was to build a chain of hospitals stretching all the way across the United States where any alcoholic, any time when necessary, could go in for detox. Common thing today, but it most certainly was not back then. I assumed Dr. Bob was going to be the head doctor at the hospitals probably. (laughs) Second thing they decided to do was to hire and train a group of paid missionaries and send them out all the way across the United States to carry this great message to any alcoholic wherever he might be, and I expect Bill was going to be the head missionary. (laughs) Third thing they decided to do was to take this information and put it down in a written form. They had already noticed that the information they had being carried word of mouth, one to one, was becoming garbled. You know how people are, and especially we alcoholics. You hear something good, you tell it to somebody, they tell it to somebody, and they add to it, and the next one adds to it, and by the time it gets back to you, it really doesn't sound like what you said in the first place. And they could see this already taking place. And they said, if this information is to remain effective in the future for the greatest number of people, we need to get it down in the written form so it will not be changed and garbled in the future. They made a decision to write a book also at that meeting, not only to protect the information, but also to make money. Because back in those days, books were big sellers. This was in the days before television. And there really was a time before television. Believe me, there was. (laughs) And they knew that this book would be the first comprehensive book on alcoholism and recovery therefrom. And immediately it would sell literally in the thousands. And they could make literally hundreds of thousands of dollars from it. And they were going to use that to build the hospitals and hire the missionaries. Thank God only one of those three things came true. They did write the book. It did not sell very good in the the beginning, they did not get to build the hospitals and train the missionaries, but they did manage to get the book written.
2: So they took this book and they put all their combined knowledge and experience into this book called Alcoholics Anonymous. And the very first Alcoholics Anonymous that the world has ever seen was a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. And in that book was the combined knowledge and experience of the first hundred people and a program of recovery. So the very first AA that the world has ever seen was a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says the Fledging Society, which had been nameless now, began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. So you see, we have two Alcoholics Anonymouses. First, we have a book called Alcoholics Anonymous, and then we have a fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous. And in my area, I'm afraid that the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program that's in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is not necessarily the program that's in the book called Alcoholics Anonymous. Because in our area we've had lots of, as we said, we got away from the book, we laid the book down, and then we got to talking about other things. People began to come to us through treatment over the years, which is fine. We love and glad to have them. And they gained an awful lot of information in the treatment, which is fine. But they brought the treatment program and other things into the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and begin to say such things like this, go to 90 meetings in 90 days.
1: And everything will be okay. And
2: everything will be okay. Now, it doesn't say that in that book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what the Fellowship was saying. It said, work these steps if you want to. Take some, leave some, the cafeteria style. You don't have to do these steps. This book says,
1: half measures availed us nothing.
2: Right. So the Fellowship got away from the program in the book called Alcoholics Anonymous. In those early days, all the people who were going to the Oxford groups were practicing the principles that were in that book, and great things were beginning to happen to them. So this weekend, we're not going to talk about the program that's in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're going to talk about the program that's in the book called Alcoholics Anonymous, which is two different things. I can remember one time calling my sponsor, Franklin. Some of you may know Franklin Williams. And uh, I said, Franklin, uh, my program's gone to hell in a handbag. He said, what's the matter? I said, well, I'm mad at my wife and I'm mad at the people I work with, and I'm real mad at some of those people in the group. He said, I'm just mad my program's gone to hell. And he said, well, Joe, your program's doing exactly what it was intended to. He said, why don't you try working the program? believe me there's a lot of difference between my program and the program okay so we're going to be trying to talk about the program that's in the book alcoholics anonymous not the program that you hear in the fellowship of alcoholics anonymous i'd
1: like for you to notice too on this first alcoholics anonymous that the world ever saw this dust jacket or book cover on it is a very very bright cover they called it the circus jacket very bright yellow and bright red and I could almost see some drunk in New York City walking down the street with this under his arm trying to remain anonymous, you know. (laughs) When the fellowship program and the book program were the same, Alcoholics Anonymous was very, very successful. Almost 75% of the people that came to AA and really worked this program stayed sober. But then slowly, as the book began to go out across the country, the first person in Pennsylvania got a copy of the book, read it, studied it, recovered, and started an AA group. The first person in California did the same thing. The first one in Arkansas did the same thing. first one in Texas did the same thing. The tremendous growth in the fellowship really came from the book. But then over a period of years, and it's really been accelerated in the last 10 or 15 years, other things begin to infiltrate AA. And people begin to say things about staying sober that were not in the book at all. And today you go to some of these meetings and you hear everything in the world except alcoholism and recovery therefrom. You hear about the dysfunctional family. You hear about uh, meaningful relationships. Uh, you hear about significant others. Uh, you hear about shame-based child. I'm an alcoholic father. And you hear about everything except alcoholism. And re- I call those group depression meetings. <laughs> you go in there feeling pretty good about halfway through the meeting. Hell, you're ready to kill yourself, you mother. You know, so. Let's go over to Roman numeral 19 bottom of the page and let's see how effective this thing really did used to be.
2: He said, while the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out, public acceptance of AA grew by leaps and bounds. For this, there were two principal reasons. The large number of recoveries and reunited homes. This program worked. These made their impressions everywhere of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried. Fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sold up after some relapses, and among the remainder those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Other thousands came to a few AA meetings and first decided they didn't want the program. But great numbers of these, about two out of three, began to return as time passed. In other words, about 75 percent of those people who came to Alcoholics Anonymous and tried to apply the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous of the book Alcoholics Anonymous stayed sober. Seventy-five percent. Today, can we boast of seven and a half percent, five percent? I don't know that we can. So what I'm trying to do tonight is to charge you with the idea to take this book, the information, not what we're saying, but the information in this book back to your home group and share the program of recovery with the people in your home group. Because if there's 200 people here and we take it back and share it with one or two in our home group, then the message has gotten out to 600 people. We could get this back to 50 to 75% if each and every one of us tried to do that. And obviously, to me, you're interested in recovery, you wouldn't be here.
0: 75% recovery, 50% recovery, 20% recovery. I'm not sure what the true numbers are, and I'm not a professional. It's not my job. But I certainly know it's not 75. I can tell you that from personal experience and what I've seen. And that's unfortunate because this program works if you work it. And the fact that the first 100, 200,000 found it, worked it, and got it, and recovered, says something about the big book. It works. Joe and Charlie are very clear that they feel that we got away from this. Now they're back in 1993 making these comments, and I think that holds true today. There's a valid place for inpatient, outpatient, detox. I don't know. I joke about California sober. I guess if you're that one person that can do one without the other, but I don't believe you. It's not a matter of when you get recovery, how you get to recovery, why you decide you want to be in recovery. Once you make that choice, once you decide, it gets easier. Because all you have to do is follow the steps. Admit that you're powerless. Understand that there is a greater power out there than you, and ask for help. Another key takeaway from this week's episode is the fact that we now had a program that was being accepted by the public as a cure for alcoholism. It was written up in papers, it was referenced uh, in the medical journals, and all of a sudden, Where there had been no cure, when the only answer was to throw that drunk into the sanitarium and let the poor man or woman wither away and die, now we had an answer. I mentioned in the first part of this podcast about what would happen if this program was started today and how it might have been affected by today's atmosphere of sell everything, make sure it's branded, does our corporate logo need to be on an arena... In the preface to the big book, there's a great story about how Bill went to a dinner party with John D. Rockefeller. And Bill actually tried to sell the program to John to have him invest in it and become a partner. John Rockefeller declined. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give you money. And it was probably the wisest decision and choice that was ever made for our program. Because it required Bill to go back home and figure out how he was going to afford to grow this program on its own. And this was the nexus for the seventh tradition. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Look at what was accomplished in this episode. You had a new program, it became very popular, it grew, people wanted to use it, they wrote a book, some of the ideas didn't work, but that's okay, they tried to sell it and that didn't work, but that's okay. Because now we have a program that you cannot buy, borrow, or brand. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you'll join us next week. Again, this is Brad S., your host, and this is the Big Book Living Alive Podcast.